close and personal Charleston with Nikki Landry. An in-depth view into the business of successful leaders who excel in their field. Now, here's Nikki Landry. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Nikki Landry. This is a show about getting up close and personal with some of the industry's top-rated professionals and experts in their field. On today's show, we meet Dr. Dennis Schimpf, who is board certified with the American Board of Plastic Surgery. He's a founder and director of the Advanced Breast Reconstruction Program at the NCI designated Hollings Cancer Center, Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, South Carolina. He's a national leader in the use of perforator-based microsurgical DIEP breast reconstruction. His office is Sweetgrass Plastic Surgery, and he's an author of one of Forbes and Amazon's best-selling books called Finding the New You, Think, See, and Feel Beautiful. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dennis Schimpf. A lot of accolades there for you. Well, thanks, Nikki. Uh, It's great to meet you, and it's great to be here on the show, and I'm so excited. Let's get up close and personal. Give us a little background on yourself. Who is Dr. Dennis Schimpf? You know, I took kind of a non-traditional course into medicine. I didn't, I, nobody in my family is a doctor. Uh, I didn't grow up wanting to be a doctor. Kind of came to it after volunteering in an emergency room my senior year of college. Uh, put off getting volunteer hours and uh, the advisor said the only way you're going to get the hours <laughs> before you graduate, to graduate, is uh, go somewhere that's open 24 hours a day. So I went to a local emergency room and just volunteered there, picking up stuff, moving patients, doing whatever I could. And um it was the senior, you know, spring of my senior year, and uh, I really fell in love with it. So I went from there and uh, went through different specialties during medical school, thinking about what I was going to do. And I really fell in love with surgery and, uh, and then plastic surgery, because we're really the last specialty that operates on the whole body, you know, face, hand injuries, face trauma, cancer, uh, congenital, cleft lip and palate. And uh, it's kind of a dying breed in terms of the medical world. Things are becoming so highly specialized now. And uh, I love the idea of operating on the whole body. And I started out my career at the Medical University of South Carolina here in Charleston and spent about five years there on staff. Uh, did a lot of big cancer surgeries and reconstruction and all the face trauma and hand trauma that you know everybody sees on TV. And uh, it was great, great training, great experience. And then in 2013, I started Sweetgrass Plastic Surgery. I, um, I had always wanted to go to business school, so I did that and ended up getting an MBA degree and then set out and just tried to start a practice. And uh, here we are. We now have five locations, about 45 employees, and um, do, operate, you know, do our operations in our own uh, office. So we've really expanded into the low country, and Charleston is such a great place in terms of the growth and people coming here. So it's really made it easy uh, if you can say that, uh, in terms of building a business, because you have people and, and a demand. When I first meet a physician, I always ask them the same question. Uh, what is it about the human body that fascinates you, that you decide to do this profession? I think it's more of an interaction with, with people. And yeah. I think uh, I had experienced, uh, my mother had been sick when I was young and, and passed away from a brain tumor. And I think I being on the other side of that, you saw the impact that medicine had on people and families. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what really motivated me in that, in that direction. And then surgery, it was really easy. I, I loved the immediate nature of it. You know, it wasn't like come in and see your primary care and change your blood pressure medicine, come back in three months, we'll see what it did. I mean, this was 
you know, I did a lot of trauma training at level one trauma center. So we had a lot of shootings and stabbings and, you know, a lot of that stuff. And then just really being able to, to take someone, spend an hour or two in the operating room and dramatically affect their life. Uh, I find, you know, very rewarding and, and it's a privilege. It's a gift uh, to be able to do that. It really is a gift. It really is. Um, you know, going under the knife, uh, as a lot of people refer to plastic surgery, <laughs> <laughs> it can kind of be kind of scary for most people. So what I want to do is I want to do a little bit of a deep dive into your passion, and and that's helping people look and feel their best through plastic surgery. Here's a selfish question, but what is plastic surgery? Like, why is it called plastic? That's something I've always wondered. Right, yeah. It's a, right? That's a common question. Yep, and I actually start out the, or at one point in the book going into that a little because it is such a common question. Uh, plastico means to mold or shape, and uh, that's where plastic in this instance came from for plastic surgery. So it's basically taking structures, physical structures, and and altering them, mm-hmm. hopefully in a, in a better way. Uh, the difference between sort of cosmetic plastic surgery and reconstructive plastic surgery is that cosmetic is more taking somebody who, by most accounts, doesn't have a, a deficit or a disorder or disfigurement, but simply wants to improve or enhance what they have. Whereas reconstruction obviously addresses more of, it could be a trauma, it could be congenital birth defect, uh, something along those lines where you're increasing functionality or bettering mm-hmm. functionality as well as appearance. What was your most challenging client, I guess I would ask, uh, procedure that they wanted to have done? Well, I think in terms of the reconstructive world, uh, as you had mentioned in the introduction, when I was at MUSC, I did a lot of microsurgery or perforator flaps where we would take the tissue off of the abdomen and use that big piece of tissue to reconstruct a breast or reconstruct an area that had been usually affected by cancer. And that we would use a microscope, put together vessels that were anywhere from one to three millimeters in size. Mm. Uh, We would use a big microscope that had magnification. And those surgeries could take anywhere from eight hours to 18 hours. And it just came down to the anatomy and how difficult the anastomosis was and, and how well it perfused after to keep the tissue alive. So I used to do a lot of that. We'd do about 100, 150 of them a year. And each one of them was a challenge really in some way or another yeah. and because you just never knew going in if it was going to be the easy four to six hours or if it was going to be a day and a half of trying to get it to work and so uh, the unknown and there really wasn't a good way to to know that ahead of time so and that's why most people do that earlier in their careers because you get you get old and you can't <laughs> you can't stay up all night and operate like you used to when you were young right and I think that's probably um, you know, one of the important aspects of, of finding the right plastic surgeon is finding one that's board certified, right? Um, so why why choose a board certified plastic surgeon? And how do we tell if they're board certified? How do we know that? Like, uh, you just can't say you're board certified, right? Well, you can, and that's been part of the problem oh. because for a long time, you could say you were board certified, and it could be in OBGYN, discipline obstetrics, or it could be board certified emergency room physician, but you were still doing Botox injections or fillers or doing different cosmetic things because obviously the motivation in that scenario is you can either deal with insurance cases and and obviously not very good in reimbursement, or you could go do cosmetic procedures and cash-based market. And so that has been a problem that is being addressed in a lot of states where you can only say you're board certified 
in the specialty or discipline that you're board certified in. So advertisement wise, uh, there is not a specific regulation, so to speak, for doing Botox, for instance. Right. So anybody with a medical degree or even nurse practitioner and PA level training can can do that. And so you could have anything anywhere from somebody that's a family medicine doctor, which is not a knock against them. It's obviously just they're not a plastic surgeon. And uh, there's definitely a lot of gray areas in how that is, how people portray themselves in their practice. And so it's very simple. If you go to the American Society of Plastic Surgery um, and the American Board of Plastic Surgery, you can see who members are in that um, uh, sort of, I guess you want to call it society. Yeah. And those folks have been vetted. Uh, in fact, in the American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, you have to submit case lists and they review them and then you have to have recommendations and with the board certification, you have to take tests, both an oral and written exam. And so the, the criteria that you have to meet, plus you have to have completed an accredited program. So the one thing knowing that you're board certified is that you met a minimum standard of case numbers. They've been reviewed. You've been supervised throughout training. Uh, you'll hear a lot of folks say they're cosmetic or you know, aesthetic medicine doctors. And that's generally when they when you start getting into those terms, there's some gray area, and that's not to mean that they that, that they can't do a good job. It's just unfortunately, the onus is on you as a patient to be educated in that arena, and it's very easy to get misled. This is up close and personal, Charleston, and I'm Nikki Landry. We'll return with Dr. Dennis Shimp and talk about coming to grips with our appearance next. It's that season, cute dresses, shorts, showing off your curves. If you've been thinking about a tummy tuck, liposuction, or non-invasive body contouring for your core area, you need to go see Sweetgrass Plastic Surgery for a complimentary consultation and see what your options are. They have Evolve, Cool Sculpting, Body Tight, Smart Lipo, and all of the newest options for body contouring to look and feel your best. Sweetgrass Plastic Surgery, now with five locations in the Lowcountry. Check them out at Sweetgrass Plastic Surgery. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Nikki Landry, and today I'm with Dr. Dennis Schimpf, board-certified plastic surgeon. His office is Sweetgrass Plastic Surgery right here in the Low County, and he's an author of one of Forbes' top-rated books called Finding the New You, Think, See, and Feel Beautiful, also one of Amazon's top-rated books, too. The psychology behind plastic surgery. Why do people do it? Why should they do it? And what makes for a great candidate? I asked this question because I have a master's in psychology and it always fascinates me of why people choose to do plastic surgery. So according to Open Journal of Medical Psychology 2015, this is, I'm quoting them, um, the effect of body image dissatisfaction on the choice to undergo aesthetic plastic surgery was partially mediated by the influence of mass media. So how much influence does the media have on people deciding to have plastic surgery? And what are you finding with your patients the reason that they're having procedures done? Well, that's a, a great topic and one I've actually spoke on a few times with the social media aspect. And I think we are seeing people dramatically influenced by social media for good and for bad. Uh, I think social media is a great 
outlet to get the message out, to make people aware of what's available. Uh, if you think about it 20 years ago, how did you know what was really out there, what was going on? But I think part of the problem or challenge has been that nobody's really regulating that or vetting it to make sure that it's accurate. And then the big issue is that nobody's making sure that children or adolescents mm -hmm. are old enough or mature enough to really comprehend what they're looking at. And with the bullying and the things that are going on already in society, it's kind of the perfect storm uh, for people to see something that somebody has changed. They're probably already a little insecure about something on themselves. And that just makes for a problem if that becomes their goal is to look like Kim Kardashian or mm -hmm. you know, somebody on social media. So social media is a, is a real impact. Uh, I think you see how much of an impact it is based on the individual patient and their age. Uh, yeah. Obviously older folks, not, not as much, but certainly they're still, you know, they're getting into it and they're, they're following different bloggers and influencers and, and different celebrities. And so they're being greatly influenced. What I've seen is in terms of why people do it, there's probably a hundred reasons why people do it. Um, I think there, there is always that fighting acceptance. You know, I think everybody goes into a store and tries on clothes and looks in the mirror to see if it looks good. Mm -hmm. You go and buy a car that looks good. You want, you don't go and buy something because it makes you look bad. And so plastic surgery is the same way. If you look in the mirror and you see something that is, that is weighing on you, yeah and you're an adult and you can make an, an informed decision, then you should do it. Mm -hmm. But we still live in a society for whatever reason that there's still this question about whether you're being judged and whether you should be doing it. Mm -hmm. One of the first thing women tell me, when, especially moms, will say, I can't believe I'm here. I shouldn't be here. I have so many other things to do. I shouldn't be even thinking about spending uh, money on myself. Uh, it's you know heartbreaking to think that they're they're struggling with that. Or they'll come in and say, I, I made three appointments, I kept canceling, but you know, I haven't seen, you know, nobody has examined me, you know, obviously examined me or seen me like with a robe on like this in, in years because they're so self-conscious self -conscious. Yeah. And, and to think yeah. to go through that uh, every day and worry about it has to be just a huge you know, strain on their life. And, it, and that's where that strain can affect you in terms of your personality, how outgoing you are, mm -hmm. the social decisions you make. Maybe you don't go to the pool with the kids or you don't go on vacation because you don't want anybody to see you in a bathing suit. And so when folks say plastic surgery is superficial, it, it is to a degree, but that superficial change is tied to a much deeper meaning. Right. And that's the thing that lasts and that's the thing that we ultimately try to improve. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, in all my pictures, being in the media for 20 years, I never allow side profile pictures because I hate my nose. <laughs> it's either the nose or the neck. Everybody in America has an obsession with one or the other. And, and these right. phones are, are killing folks in terms of making them aware of it because you turn it on and it's facing you oh. and you're like, oh my God. And then right. obviously Zoom calls now. I, I've right. seen a lot of patients the last few months. They'll come in and they'll say, I, I didn't know I looked that old. Now I see myself every day. And <laughs> They Thank God for filters. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> right. So earlier you were talking about candidates. Uh, what makes for a great candidate? Uh, what do you look for in a patient before, you know, suggesting a procedure? Or maybe maybe you don't suggest a certain procedure. So what what is the criteria that you use to evaluate their needs, I guess, versus their want? The simple answer is one, one word, expectations. Yeah. So what people 
come in believing they can achieve, our job is to listen and to understand if we have a procedure that will meet that and what the chances of them being satisfied are. If they have unrealistic expectations, then there's not a procedure in the world or the best surgeon in the world is going to be able to make them happy. And so, you know, first off, obviously, we, we do a medical history and examination, and we want to make sure that we're not doing anything unsafe. So that's obviously always paramount. Um, but in terms of plastic surgery itself, it's really what are they hoping to achieve? And, I, and yeah. so what I started asking folks maybe a year ago is, let's say, you know, you do this surgery. 12 months from now, when you look in the mirror, what's going to make you happy about your decision to do this? You know, when somebody comes in and goes, oh, I want to change everything, that, that's not useful. I can't, you know, or they'll come in and say, well, you tell me what I need. Oh, say, yeah. Well, I, I can tell you 10 things that I could do, right. but if it's the 11th one that bothers you and I don't see that, you know, because we are our worst critics, you know, our own critics, you know, for sure. Yeah. And folks will come in pointing at things saying, I can't live with this and I'm, I, I can't even see it. So I'm like, I don't, you know, uh, and, and that's where... You know, once you operate on someone, you sort of own that event, <laughs> that right. patient, and you become married at the hip for, for better or for worse. And so that's a big part of surgery training is learning, you know, just about anybody can do the surgery. It's who not to do the surgery on that uh, becomes a key part of training. Right. If I don't believe there is a reasonable chance that we can meet their expectation or that they're going to be happy, I tell them, you know, keep your money. I don't the last thing I want you to do is be unhappy or, you know, you should do something else with the money or see somebody else. Right. Well, you know, personally speaking, I feel bad because I, I just got married last year. And Congratulations. Thank you. And so I finally just told my husband, I was like, I hate my side profile. <laughs> and he was like, I never noticed it. And I'm like, here, look, so stupid me. I'm showing him my flaw. And so now he's like, ooh. I do notice it. <laughs> I'm like, I <Ooh>. hate you. <laughs> but, well, and that's the problem, you know, with suggesting yeah. things to people is because th then they look at you like, oh, I didn't even know I had that problem. Right, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes you think things are bad on you and they're really yeah. not, right? So right. that's your job, I think, uh, that you do well uh, is let them know. You, maybe you don't need to fix it. It's not that bad. I didn't even notice it, you know? That is the vast majority, especially yeah. noses and things because – your personal perception of what is good or what you like mm -hmm. is your personal perception. It has nothing to do with necessarily the technicality of what's a perfect nose. You know, I'll have people bring in a picture of a nose saying, I want it to look like that. And I look at the picture and I think the, the picture is worse. Like you have a, <laughs> you have a better nose now. So right. say, don't, right. don't do that. And, and the other thing about who not to operate on is that the, you know, surgery, almost all surgeries that we do come, comes with a scar of some sort. Yeah. So, the last thing we want to do is take an area of the body that you're already unhappy with and try to meet your expectations and fail, and now you have a scar on top of it. So right. it's just compounding the problem. So let's find some solutions. Dr. Dennis Schimpf, author of Finding the New You, Think, See, and Feel Beautiful. Tell us a little bit about the book. I bought it. I'm waiting for it to come in the mail. I'm excited to read it. Well, thank you. Uh, a few years back, I was I was actually driving to Florida listening to um, TED Talks, and I came across a TED Talk that uh, I mentioned in the book that was talking about design and how the emotion of what makes somebody connect with a product. So these design engineers were talking about the, 
how they lay things out and where they place them on shelves in a store and yeah. and why you can look at three different kinds of the same sort of product and pick one. And it and the guy had a really good and in, interesting point. He showed a picture of a ch- the a stick figure picture and said, "Is this beautiful?" You know, everybody in the crowd's like didn't really say anything. And then he said, "You know, what if I told you this drawing was the last drawing a six year old did the day she died of brain tumor?" <sighs> Uh, is it is it beautiful now? Oh wow! And so his point was very well taken in that appearance and structure and physical attributes. There's something deeper to that, and mm-hmm. obviously that's when I started thinking about the plastic surgery world. And you know, we have a lot of patients who think they get this surgery, their life's going to be perfect, or you know, they they're going to get the perfect job, they're going to meet the perfect you know spouse, and in that scenario you're almost set up for failure because obviously the surgery is not going to change that and right hopefully the surgery brings out a better you you have more confidence you're more outgoing you're more you know happy in general because this problem has been changed or, or lifted from you and uh, that's where i really started with the book and so the book has basically a patient or two scenario in each chapter and kind of goes through a lot of things that I hear on a daily basis. Like I mentioned earlier, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. I shouldn't be doing this for myself. Other one that's always classic is, <laughs> you know, women will come in with her boyfriend or husband and they'll say, you know, she doesn't need anything. And, <laughs> and, I, and you'll appreciate this as a psychology uh, background. <laughs> I asked a, a PhD psychologist friend of mine about this scenario. We started, and he started laughing. He said, well, you know, guys think everything's about them. So the only reason in the world that this woman could possibly be here <laughs> is because she, they think that you're here doing it for them. And right. they somehow, they, you know, and, and so the women will say they just, they don't understand. Like, I want to feel better in a bathing suit or I want to put on a dress right. and it fit me right. Or I want to be able to you know, go play with the kids at the beach and not feel self-conscious in a wrapped yeah. up, you know, cover up or whatever. So each chapter kind of touches on that and... Uh, and there's a lot of pre and post op stuff. We use it to educate our patients before surgery. Uh, a lot of the kind of, it, you know, the time thing is a big mm-hmm. thing. Patients takes three to six months for most swelling to go down after a surgery. Uh, it takes about a year for a scar to get as good as it's going to be. So we kind of try to really reinforce those ideas with the patients mm-hmm. so that they're not upset and unhappy after. You know, I was that patient that came there <laughs> with her boyfriend to get breast <laughs> augmentation. Yep. And I was really close to doing it. And, you know, I chickened out. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait. And so sure. anyways, uh, you know, we ended up breaking up. Uh, so because I was really small, right? And right. so, sure. you know, I'm 5'6", 120 pounds, but I was small there. So I want kind of like, you know, the whole media thing, right? right? And so I just decided I didn't go with it. And then, I don't know, 10 years later, I met a great guy. And I said, hmm. And he was like, no, you don't need to change anything. And then menopause hit. And now I'm like a C cup. So now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now it all I'm worked like, out. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God you didn't get yeah. those breast implants. I know. So that's my question. What happens when someone, say, in their 30s, they get a breast augmentation? And but not everybody's boobs grow when they hit menopause, right? Right. But what how, does that shift or how does that work? Well, a lot of women get them, as you were kind of alluding to, in their 20s or yeah. late 20s. And so just like yourself, you know, they're usually very thin at that point. They're very active. And especially a decade or two ago, the media push was for that 
voluptuous look. Right. Pamela right. Anderson and Baywatch and all mm-hmm. of those things were based on that idea. Mm-hmm. And so everyone kind of gravitated towards that, I think, as a as a concept and as a fashion and trend. But what generally does happen is, is obviously these ladies have children and they do gain weight and their breasts do get bigger yeah. and they do get less active. And so that begins to weigh on their neck and their back. Mm. We're also seeing a lot of women uh, later on in life in their 40s and 50s getting into yoga and Pilates and all these different things. And so I see a couple women a week who just say, I, I just don't want these anymore. I don't need them. <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm at a point in my life where... <laughs> I got no uh, more use for these guys. <laughs> right, I don't, I don't need them. And, and they get in the way. You know, they right, literally yeah. get in the way for yeah. these ladies. And so we started taking a lot of them out of women maybe five years ago. It oh. became kind of a thing. And I thought for sure every one of those women would come back and want them put back in. And I have to say very few, count on one hand probably, the number who've come back and got an implant after it was removed. And if they did, it was a much smaller one. So wow. uh, women said it took about six months to get used to it because you're taking obviously an area of their body that they loved that was very aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. and look good in clothing and bathing suits in. And you're changing it dramatically. It's like deflating it instantly. And it yeah. takes some time to get used to. But virtually all of them said they felt better. They were happy with their decision. And, uh, but they were happy for the time they had them. They enjoyed you right. know, that part of their life. I'm happy. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It, but yeah, we see it a lot and we take them out of Good. women now. Uh, I think the trends go you know, back and forth in terms yeah. of fashion and what's in. Uh, and again, with social media, I think that's obviously driving it now. Mm-hmm. Where magazine covers and, and shows probably used to drive it more. Now it's social media. All social media. Uh, Dr. Schimpf, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's not an easy last name to pronounce. I know. I'm sorry. That, you, Am I doing fine. okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, Dennis is good. <laughs> do, they, do they call you Dr. Dennis because they don't want to pronounce your last name? Yeah, some of them, some folks do. Yeah, okay. And I just say, just call me Dennis. I don't, I don't need to be reminded I'm a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> really? All right, Dennis. So we'll refer to you as Dennis. Yeah, I uh, like that better. Okay, cool. Uh, thank you for being on the show today. I could talk to you all day, but uh, I know we're, we're out of time. Uh, remember, if you want to reach out to Dennis, proper name, Dr. Schimpf, <laughs> you can do so by calling him. What's a good number to reach you? Uh, our number, general number at our office is 843-471-1135 in Charleston. Great. And uh, your website, give that. Uh, sweetgrassplasticsurgery.com or drdennisschimpf.com. S-C-H-I-M-P-F. Okay, great. All right, so Dennis, leave us with the final word. The biggest message I would leave with somebody is if something's bothering you and, you're, and you've thought it through, go talk to somebody, go talk to a plastic surgeon, get all the information, see a couple different plastic surgeons, get different opinions, and then go with the person that you connect best with and, uh, and trust the process, and I think you'll be happy. Up Close and Personal Charleston is a production of Benstown and McVeigh Media Networks in association with Saga Communications, hosted by Nikki Landry, executive produced by Dave Chachi Dennis and Mike McVeigh, produced and engineered by Kevin Horton. 